Hey there, this is Zach from Cornerstone Assembly in Truro, Nova Scotia. Thanks for checking out this message. If you're looking for more information about our church, check us out online at truerochurch.ca. Now to the message. The question I simply have for us today is, what is love? Now, I know for many of us who were alive in the mid-2000s, there's a very catchy song and a Pepsi ad that went along with this, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me no more. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about is simply the developing healthy relationships in our lives every day. And this series is designed over the next four weeks to help you develop healthier relationships in your life. And whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're completely unconcerned with uh, romantic relationships in any sense of the word, I believe this series is good for you to begin to help understand how you can have better relationships in your life and love those that matter most to you. How can you have a better value of the friendships in your life? How can you have a healthier uh, and more meaningful relationships with others that you see at work and uh, in your neighborhood? And how can you have a better understanding and express and show love to those that matter most to you in life? That's what this series is about. And this, my hope that each of us, over this next several weeks, will gain a better understanding of what it truly means to love others the way that God loves you. You know, when I was uh, just starting to date Alandra, uh, I, I, was a, I was a hopeless romantic. You know, really, I, I thought I was pretty smooth. I, you know, I had this one idea for, for Valentine's Day. We, we had, it was our first Valentine's Day. I thought it'd be a really great idea to do something really extravagant and really fun. And so I, I had this idea. Alandra always talked about her favorite movie growing up. And her favorite movie was The Lion King. Anybody, else, anybody else has that favorite movie? Come on, come on. Yes, thank you over here. Lion King. You can't go wrong. It's a great movie. It's awesome. But the problem was, this was before Disney+. Plus. And I, we didn't have Netflix at that point in time either. And so I had no way to get access to The Lion King apart from going over to my neighbor's house, knocking on their door, and borrowing their VHS player and their VHS tape recording of The Lion King. This is old school. Anybody, know, anybody ever have that like Disney collection of VHS tapes growing up? Yeah, come on, right? You know what I'm talking about? You got that wall of VHS tapes, you got the whole encyclopedia of Disney in the Renaissance era. It was good. Quality material right there. And so I went over and I got The Lion King on VHS and I brought it over and I thought this is going to be fantastic. I'm going to blow my, uh, my girlfriend out of the water. I'm gonna, this is going to be the best date night ever. And so I went and I bought flowers, and I went and I put flower petals all over the couch, and I went and I got the Lion King, we put the Lion King in there, and I got candles, I like candles, I'm like, this is going to be so romantic, and then I went out and I, I, I made homemade pizza. I went to the top notch, I made homemade pizza with the best ingredients you can imagine and purchase on the Safeway, wherever it was, and I got this fantastic night together. And the best part is, when she came over, my mom opened the door, because this was all happening in my parents' basement. <laughs> I still lived at home during the time. And so we had to walk through the living room on Valentine's Day with my mom and my dad and my sister giving me googly eyes and mocking me the whole time. <laughs> Come on, Sid, I married her now, so joke's on you. But really, really, I gotta give my parents credit. They were the best wingmen they could ever imagine. So mom and dad, if you're listening online, thanks. <laughs> You helped me out a lot with that, let me use the basement and, and let me use the kitchen and make a mess of your stove and all sorts of things to win my wife. <laughs> you know, I, I think we've all kind of had those moments, and, and gentlemen in the room, I'm sure you've had moments like that where you felt like a fool in pursuing your, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever it might be. You know, in that pursuit of someone, 
you know, I wanted to get just right because I, I love Delandra, and I still do. I love my wife so much. She's so precious to me. But over time, over time as the years go on, you know, there haven't been as many of those, you know, those gooey feelings of love for my wife that maybe I once had. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Landra. I'm sorry. I really am. Uh, we can talk afterwards. I <laughs> and for those of us in the room that have been married for any length of time, you know this to be true as well, right? The, the gooey feelings over time, they, they don't feel quite as strong as maybe they once did. That, that feeling of love, what I've become to know is that feeling begins to actually fade over time. And you know, there's actually, there's a lot of science to support this. You know, when you're younger, your body more easily produces the, and responds to the chemicals that we associate with the feelings of love. You know, dopamine is responsible for that happy feeling. You know, happy feelings are related to dopamine and the related hormone, norepinephrine. Did I say that right, Mel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and those are released during attraction. Uh, I also learned about this new hormone called oxytocin, which is also known as the cuddle hormone. It's the hormone that makes you feel feelings of attraction and affection to those that you love and, and care for. And these chemicals, they make us feel giddy, they make us feel energetic, they make us feel all warm inside, and it leads to decreased appetite, insomnia, essentially what we call the feeling of being in love. That's what those chemicals are in the brain. And this chemical response is what we have come to know as love. But over time, as we age, as we grow up, you know, our bodies become less adept at producing those chemicals, and it takes more of the chemical to produce the same response. I mean, think about it. The first time you went on a roller coaster, a very scary, big, large roller coaster, you got that absolute crazy high, that thrill of energetic experience, but by the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the twentieth time you rode that same roller coaster, it wasn't quite the same high as you had the first time, right? Why is that? It's because your brain is used to it now which is why it takes more of the same chemicals to produce that emotional response that we experienced at first. Which is why for so many of us, we're wondering why we've fallen out of love. Why we don't love that new car quite as much as we did you know, when we first bought it. Why we don't love this pasta dish after we're eating it for the fourth, fifth, sixth time because we made way too many leftovers and now we're having it for lunch again. You know, why we maybe don't have that same wonder and affection in our relationships and our friendships that maybe we had at first. And so, so many of us spend our lives just chasing that emotional high. We spend our lives running after that feeling of love and we're wondering where it went chasing that feeling because if the feeling isn't there, then, then the love must not be there anymore either. And so the loving acts of kindness, the Lion King dates in my parents' basement, they don't come along as often as maybe they once did. You know, we're taught in our culture that love is a feeling. It's the best feeling in the world. It's the only feeling that matters. Any Disney movie you watch says that true love is the one thing you need to be pursuing at any cost. If you feel that, let it motivate you. Let it run your life. Pursue that at everything else because nothing is more important than pursuing that feeling of love in your life. But here's the problem with that way of thinking. What happens when that feeling fades? What, what happens when I, I no longer have that feeling of love? What happens when inevitably I fall out of love? What I want to do this morning, for the few minutes allotted to me, is I want to show you the way that Jesus thought about love in the New Testament. I want to show you something he did, something he said, that I believe will help us to understand more fully what it means to truly love. And then we're going to move into a time of communion, and then we're going to move to water baptisms this morning. And as we look at this story, 
I hope it helps us to understand this morning what true love really is. Because if you're going to understand the way that Jesus understood love, you'll understand how you can have richer and more meaningful relationships in your life every day with those that matter most to you in life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, can I invite you to open up to John chapter 13. We're going to be looking at our Bibles here today. And if you don't have your Bible, it's okay. It's going to be up on the screen. But as you're turning there this morning to John chapter 13, for just a few minutes before we move into the next portion of our gathering today, let me just catch you up on where we are and what's been going on up to this point. So Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, the big main city, and it's this event, this ceremony called Passover. Passover was this big day when all the people would come together and they would celebrate their deliverance from sin. They'd celebrate their deliverance from slavery. They would come into this relationship of celebration. And like any big feast, any big celebration, there's a lot of food. How many know you can't have a party without food? Come on, somebody. Come on. Let me see those hands across the room. You can't have a good party without food. And so Jesus is here with his guys. He gets his team. He gets his disciples, he brings them together, and he says, guys, let's have a meal. Let's celebrate Passover together. And so he brings these guys together. But what the disciples don't know at this point is that this is actually going to be Jesus' last meal. This is going to be his last meal, which is why it's often called the Last Supper. He's been hinting at this, that his hour has come to be delivered into the hands of the Romans, to be crucified, to be beaten, mocked, and killed. And so while the disciples are having a party, Jesus is coming into this gathering with a very different tone. He's coming into this place with a very different expectation. You know, he's got a much more reserved attitude. He wants them to remember this moment. He wants to make this moment count, because this is one of the last moments he's going to spend with them. So here he has. They're having this meal, having this celebration together, and then we pick up the story in John chapter 3, verse 4, that after dinner... After dinner, Jesus got up from the table, and he took off his robe. So he's wearing this this old-school teacher robe. Takes off his robe, and he wraps a, a, a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin, like a, like a little jar, a little jug of some sort. Then, look at this. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now, what you need to understand about Jesus is that he's a respected rabbi. He's a a teacher. He's their mentor. He's their friend. And what he's doing here, this is not the role of the master. This is the role of a servant or a hired hand. This would be in this society, in this time, this would be a dirty role, a dirty job. This would be like you inviting me over to your house for dinner, and I come over to your place, and then after dinner, I get up and I go start scrubbing your toilets. (laughs) That's what this would be like. This is a weird thing to be going on. You shouldn't be having Jesus doing this sort of thing. It's kind of low, kind of dirty, not something you would ever expect to see Jesus doing. They're confused. Peter is even offended. He even argues with Jesus. You can read that section right there for yourself. But Jesus insists, and he let him do it. So here's Jesus. He's, he's taking this role. He's, he's lowering himself. He's, he's washing their feet. He's taking on the role of a servant, and it's a filthy role at that. I mean, can you just... Can you just imagine the shocked silence in the room? I mean, like, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing, man? What, what is going on? What, what do you say to that at that moment? So Jesus goes around the room, and he's washing each other's feet. And, and then in verse 12, verse 12, we finally get an explanation of what's going on here. Verse 12, he says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down. So everyone's looking at him. What's the deal here, Jesus? What, what are you getting at? 
And then he asks them, do you understand what I'm doing here? Do you see what I'm trying to teach you about love in this last moment? Because you call me teacher and Lord, and and you're right, that is who I am. I'm actually a respected teacher. I deserve to be called that. I am Jesus after all. I don't have to be doing this for you. As a matter of fact, you should probably be doing this for me as your teacher, as your Lord. You should be serving me. But since I, since I, your teacher and Lord, since I have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And then he says this bombshell. I have given you this example to follow. Can we say this last line together? Do as I have done to you. I love what he's saying here. Catch that this morning. Don't miss this. Jesus has no obligation to do this. He has no obligation to wash your feet. No one would ever expect him to get down and wash their feet. But by choosing to do it anyway, he's showing us what true love really is. He's showing us that love is more than a feeling, but an active, intentional choice. You see, love is a choice to humble oneself, to put aside our pride, to to put our titles aside, to put aside the things that we think we deserve, and to get down and unselfishly love someone else, to wash their feet. Now, is Jesus actually saying that we need to go around and start washing each other's feet? Anybody? No. If you come over to my house, I ain't touching your toes. Understood? (laughs) It's just fine. Just fine. You can keep your shoes on. That's good with me. But he is showing us an example of what true love really looks like. It looks like getting down on our knees and, and humbly serving someone else. So what does this look like in our society? Well, this look like, might look like saying you're sorry. You know, it might be the first one to admit you're wrong after an argument with your spouse or someone you love. And getting down on your knees and saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It might like, look like taking out the garbage. Ladies in the house, is that love? <laughs> Come on, let me see those heads nod. I know it is true. There's nothing that shows true love more than serving someone else. Taking out the garbage, doing the dishes, cleaning the toilet, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you feel like you deserve a day off because you've worked a really long, hard day. This might look like letting your spouse Pick the movie you watch on Netflix that night. Instead of choosing to watch the same show you've been watching for the last 10 nights in a row, I know uh, this is a true love act in, in my relationship, uh, when we sit down and I let Alander pick a chick flick um, or a Justin Bieber documentary, uh, one of the two, um, <laughs> as opposed to you know a thriller or an action flick that I, I prefer on my side of the things. You see, that's what true love really is. It's setting aside our pride. It's setting aside what we think we deserve, and choosing to put somebody else first, even when we don't feel like it. And Jesus makes this crystal clear. He goes on in verse 34 of the same chapter. Jump down to verse 34, and you'll see what I mean. He says this, look, I'm giving you now a new commandment, something new, something different, something different than culture will tell you, society, and even your own feelings will tell you. Here is what I'm commanding you to do today. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, and here's the commandment I'm giving you. Love one another. This just as I have loved you, you should love one another. In the same way that I've loved you, just now, but by getting down like a servant and choosing to wash your feet, now you go and do the same. And you show love to those that you care for in life. 
because that's what true love really is. But you might have noticed something as I was reading this. You see, this, this statement here, love one another, this statement makes no sense if love is an emotion. If love is a feeling, this makes no sense. It's just a chemical reaction in the brain. As long as we think that love is a warm, fuzzy emotion, we will never be able to experience the depth of relationship that God has designed for us to have. But if we understand the type of love that Jesus is talking about here, the active, intentional love that moves towards others, that changes everything. Because you see, the type of love that Jesus is talking about here, this is not just a feeling. This is so much more than an emotion. No, this is an active, intentional choice. The writers of the New Testament called this type of love agape love. This was a very important type of love, agape love. And that's the type of love that Jesus is talking about here. This type of love it has shows an unselfish concern for another. It shows a desire and an intentionality to seek their best. It's a type of love that says, I don't care what I get out of this. I'm not doing this for me. I'm simply here to see you thrive, to see you grow, to see you succeed. It's a choice to, to run towards others, whether I feel like it or not. That's what this type of love, because feelings fade, but agape love sticks around. Listen, there are many times in life you will not feel like loving somebody else. I can tell you that for sure. There are many times in life I do not feel like loving my spouse, like loving my coworkers, like, like loving my friends. There are many times you don't feel like it. And that's because feelings are fleeting. Feelings fade. But agape love never does. Because this love is a choice. It's a choice to act. It's a choice to, to move towards others, to intentionally and purposefully decide to seek the well-being of others, even at the expense of yourself, even if you look foolish with that servant's apron tied around your waist, even if you look foolish admitting that you were wrong, even if you look foolish saying you were sorry, even if you look foolish picking the garbage out, even if you look foolish, this type of love makes a choice to run towards others. This type of love Jesus is talking about it's not a sappy, sentimental feeling. It's not talking about falling in love with each other. No, Jesus loves the unlovable and the unlovely, not because they deserve to be loved, but because they don't. That's why. Agape love always is shown by what it does, never by what it feels. And until you understand this truth, your relationships will never really make sense. Because that's what true love really is. It's an active, intentional but here's the thing about agape love. Agape love does not come naturally to us. It simply doesn't. It doesn't come naturally to us. And you might have noticed this if you spent any time with toddlers. How many know what's the first word a toddler usually learns? Anybody got this one? Mine or no. No is good too. It's a solid second guess. I'll allow that one as well. So no and mine. Those are typically the first two words that a toddler will learn. Because we're naturally self-seeking people. No, I don't want that. It's mine. It's all mine. You can't have it. In it for us. And because our hearts are tainted by this, this selfish streak of sin within it, we are physically incapable of producing this kind of love in and through our lives on our own. And listen, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew you couldn't do it. 
He knew this type of love was incapable of being produced in our lives. He said later in John chapter 15, just turn the page over one page, John chapter 15, verse 5. He said this amazing statement you've probably heard before but never really understood. He says, look, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He's giving this analogy of our relationship to him. I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides, sticks around, stays connected to me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. It's not a one and done experience. Whoever abides and rests in, remains in, and stays actively connected to me, those are the ones that will produce this kind of love in their life. You don't give your life to Jesus and just carry on business as usual and expect to see this type of love growing in your life. This only comes by a connected, abiding, everyday relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you want to experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, blooming and growing within your life, it requires an active, abiding connection to Jesus every day. Listen, you might try and do your best to produce this out of your own ability and your own strength. And listen, you might actually succeed for a little while. You might actually pull this off for a little bit, but eventually, eventually you'll find yourself asking, well, why am I doing this? And what's in it for me? Why am I even trying to do this? Because naturally, apart from God, we can't produce this on your own. But man, if you want to experience this kind of love in your relationship, if you want to experience this type of love in your marriage and in your home and in your friendships, you need to be connected to the source. You know, one thing I love about following Jesus is that he never asks me to do something that he hasn't already done. You see, following Jesus is not about pulling your bootstraps up and pulling yourself together. It's never what it's been about. It's not about that. It's about responding to what Jesus has already done for you. Because you will never be able to love others the way that they deserve until you understand the way that God loves you. Let me show you what I mean by this in John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, 16 is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. You've probably noticed it. But you've probably never noticed the way that God loves. I love this. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For this is how God loved the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. This is how God loves you. He acted. He took a step out of heaven towards you to give his only son to demonstrate his great love for you. He unselfishly sought to show you extravagant love, to pursue your freedom and to pursue your life even at the expense of himself. Jesus loved you when you were unlovable and unlovely, not because you deserved it or had done anything to earn it, but because he understood what true love really is. Agape love is always shown by what it does, never by what it feels. Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. And Jesus never asks us to do something he hasn't already done for us. He loved you first. And he showed it by giving his life in your place. Because love is more than a feeling. It's an active, intentional choice. And until you understand this truth, you will never fully understand God's love towards you. But once you do, if you receive the love of God towards you that is only found in Jesus, then you'll be able to show this kind of love to others and produce it in your life. And once you understand 
and receive this love. You'll be able to show this love to others the same way that Jesus loves you. I want to invite the band up this morning as we come to this table of communion here today. Communion is a sacred symbol for Christians that we take time to reflect on the love of God and how he's shown it towards us. Because listen, this is more than just bread and wine. It's more than just a couple things that we do on a Sunday morning. It's more than just religious practice. It's a reflection of God's love towards you and me. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Listen, Jesus gave himself for you. He gave himself for you to cover over your past, to give you a future, to walk with you in your daily. It's a life where you're never alone. You might have come into this place this morning feeling incredibly alone. You might even right now feel far from the love of God. But I want you to know this morning, you don't have to bear that anymore. You don't have to bear that at all. Jesus gave himself for you so that you might be with him. Connected to the source of love and life in and through him. And he invites every single one of us into this to experience this kind of life. You might be in this place this morning and you're, and you're realizing that, listen, Zach, I don't have that kind of life right now. You're talking about this, this connection to the source, this, this abiding joy, this abiding peace. I, I don't have that, but I want that. Listen, I want to invite you into that this morning. But you need to understand, it's only found in Jesus and by surrendering to him. So right now in this moment, we're coming to the table of the Lord. So coming to take communion, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. To say, Zach, I need him in my life. To say, Zach, I, I don't have that, but I want that in my heart and in my life. I want to give him my life to him. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you in this place, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I just want to invite you to come to Jesus today. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I simply want to pray with you this morning. And I'm believing that as we do and as we pray, a miracle is going to happen in your life. I'm believing that as we do, a miracle is going to happen in your heart as you begin to have life rise within your spirit as you meet Jesus today. So on the count of three, if you'd say, Zach, that's me. I don't have that life, but I need Jesus in my life. I simply want to pray with you today. Count of three. One, it's not for everybody. Two, might be for you today. Today is your day. Three, would you raise your hand in this place? I want to pray with you. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your love towards us expressed in Jesus. And God, we thank you for your grace that covers our mistakes and covers our sins. Lord, we thank you so much for your freedom that you bought for us in the cross. That God, we don't need to be far from your love anymore, but you come and you make the gap, you bridge it towards us and you draw us closer to yourself. Thank you, God, that you took the first step and acted in love towards us. And so God, this morning, we simply respond. We respond with a heart of gratitude, we respond with a heart of praise. God, we say sorry for what we've done. Lord, we're sorry for our past. We're sorry for our mistakes. We're sorry for our sin. And God, we say thank you for what you've done to come towards us and cover that. Please, would you come by your spirit, renew us, make us new, fill us with your life and your joy and your presence today. Make us new today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.